0: Game over! Featuring in-depth conversations on sci-fi, horror, fantasy, comics, toys, and conventions. So say we all! So say we all! And now sit back, relax, and enjoy today's show. joins forces with his former captain you've been instructed not to reveal the true nature of our mission to anyone else he sacrifices his loyalty to picard may i suggest you take this up with Adam? i'm taking this up with you will now he's sworn to secrecy on a dangerous mission Army Warbird, deep cloaking, directly ahead. that could upset the balance of power forever how many people are going to die this time a hundred a thousand next time on star trek the next generation Everybody and welcome once again to Geek Fest France. My name is Carlos Perrone, and today we are going to continue with our best of Star Trek Next Generation episodes, according to me. Last time we left off, I think we were somewhere on the fifth season. Today we're going to pick up about halfway through the fifth season, all the way to the end. Lots and lots of episodes. This is where it gets really, really crazy good. You know, I mentioned it before, I think that the show really got cooking. During its three final seasons, more or less, that's when the show started kind of, you know, flying really high. So, without any further delay, let's continue with season five. Television, television is not the truth, television is an amusement park. Television is a circus, a carnival, a traveling troupe of acrobats, storytellers, dancers, singers, jugglers, sideshow freaks, lion tamers, and football players. We're in the boredom-killing business. All right, we're moving on to episode 214, Conundrum. This is a, a really cool episode because what happens here is after the Enterprise gets scanned by another ship, everybody loses their memory. And the computer also loses its memory. There are no records of who everybody is and what are they doing and what's their mission and blah, 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 anything like that. So you have the entire crew of the Enterprise with no memory as to who they are. And through the episode, it's really cool because you get to see how people go about their business or try to go about their business, trying to figure out what they're supposed to be doing and who they are. So... Some characters go in a, one direction and they kind of have their little stories on one side of the ship and some have it in others. Uh, Data, for example, goes to the bar or is at the bar and ends up being the bartender. So he thinks he might be the bartender. He's not sure. But at the bridge, at least you have, I believe, Ensign Roe, Picard, uh, Worf is there. And there's another commander in the mix that we've never seen before, that is possibly somebody from another part of the ship that happened to be there while this was happening. And because nobody knows even their rank or anything, I mean, little by little, they start kind of figuring it out, that what the pips mean, and who's supposed to be doing what, and this and that. And as the story progresses, and they're able to recall some information from the computer, the computer tells them that they're supposed to be on this mission to fight this particular group of aliens let's say and that that's their mission and now that they are getting their memories back i guess through the computer telling them what they are and who they are they're supposed to go and complete that mission and that's you know when picard starts to have second thoughts and starts to wonder exactly what is going on one of the best things to watch in this episode is everybody's attitudes and everybody's personalities for example Worf, who's head of security tries to take command starts acting like a captain in terms of ordering everyone around, and that could be part of his Klingon personality. Picard is a little more laid back. He kind of lets other people do what they're doing. Riker and Rowe for example, they go wandering in a different part of the ship, and they kind of start having a little bit of a, of a fling, in a way, you know, and these two normally don't get along too well. So it's funny how you're putting characters who you're used to acting in a certain way in a completely alien environment. And it's, you know, that fish out of water thing where they're acting completely out of place. But it's really, really interesting how little by little they start to kind of make sense of everything that's going on. And as they start to find out more through the computer, telling them what their rank is, what their job is and all that stuff and their background... This is really cool, because then all of a sudden, everybody kind of goes back to where they're supposed to go. Worf gets brought down a few pegs, because he's realizing he is not the captain, and he shouldn't be, you know, acting like a captain, and Picard, little by little, becomes more in charge. The wild card here is that there's this Macduff individual, who, to the viewer from the beginning, you're like, who's that guy? And whenever you have, again, it's one of these tricks of television, I guess, is that you don't have... A guest actor having lines, unless usually, unusually, unless usually it's going to be an important role. This particular character, I was suspecting from the beginning, but I was trying to kind of give him some rope to make sure that maybe he is just, maybe he's some engineer or something or some specialist of something. But then when the computer starts to tell you he's commander and you're like, wait a minute, commander commander uh, isn't Riker the commander or something like that so you're like okay this guy's up to something and then we realize he is up to something and then they all figure out that he is part of whatever it is going on and obviously by the end of the episode they foil the bad guys and they're you know they're not tricked into attacking this other ship you know and that's what basically was happening they were being tricked through memory, through the absence of their memories and and trying to implant, you know, suggested new memories in a way to attack a vessel, that, you know, on behalf of this other race. But they're able to overcome and, you know, live to fight another day. Again, really cool episode because it's it's kind of almost like a murder mystery because you're like trying to figure out what's what and you're like you're rooting for certain characters to like come on, you're you like your Picard, you're Picard, you're supposed to take over, take over and he's being a little shy about it, you know. So that was that was really really cool. Episode 218, Cause and Effect. Okay. <laughs> Once again, I am a sucker for these time loop, time travely kind of episodes. Here's an episode where, you know, the stars, most of the stars are playing poker. And as they're playing poker, they kind of realize that something seems familiar. And their game is interrupted and they have to go to the bridge. And something happens. They encounter some kind of temporal something, you know, a, a MacGuffin. And that MacGuffin uh, results in the ship exploding. So, my God, within the first 10 minutes of the show, we destroyed the Enterprise and killed everyone. Boom. Cut two everybody playing poker again, and they go through the moods, and so, you know, so they, some of the same cards are being dealt out, and people are starting to kind of guess what happens. next. like, oh, you're gonna get a seven next and Boom, there comes a seven, for example. So as they are being called away from the game, a lot of people are starting to make those connections that these things are predictable. These events are predictable, and it ends with this, and they're gonna try to do that, and they go all the way up to the end, and boom, it happens again. They cannot save the enterprise. The enterprise is destroyed. Boom, here we go again another poker game and they're at this point you know this is becoming ground it's groundhog's day really it's like they're predicting everything that's happening they're kind of to the point where like listen this is happening again we got to prepare for it we got to try something different where i think the ship's about to get destroyed you know they go through it again item by item item, and they decide they're going to go with this plan to try to see if they can stop everything from happening and it happens again they do it like three times i think they go through the whole thing so by the end of the episode they realized okay There's something that we need to do and not forget not to do that. Because the problem is that they keep forgetting everything that they're doing. And they're trying the same things over and over again sometimes. So they finally figured out a way. Data has like a hidden symbol or a number, I think it is, uh, that will hint to him what should his action be next. Not do this, but do that instead. Don't listen to this person, but listen to that person instead. And that's it. They managed to not explode, and what was happening was, as that explosion was taking place, another ship was coming out of that rift and crashing into the Enterprise. This time around, that ship comes out, does not crash into the Enterprise, and everybody's calm. They avoided the disaster. and. Lo and behold, they contact that ship and they realize that the ship is a very old Starfleet ship, approximately 90 years old. And they communicate with the captain of that ship and it's a, the captain is somebody dressed in the, in the old, uh, you know, Star Trek II traditional red, uh, suit jackets. And the actor is Kelsey Grammer from Frasier, which is the, this is the famous Frasier episode. And they kind of break the news to him because he's like, who are you? I'm like, oh, I'm Federation, Starfleet, blah, 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 blah. Oh, we're a Federation too, Starfleet, blah. And he's like, you know, they, they kind of break the news to him. Listen, you better come here because, like, it's I don't even know if they they, they mention it to him, but they kind of, I think, hint at the fact that he is from 90 years in the past. So I would love to know how do you go forward with this episode in terms of what happens to that crew? You know, are we dealing with, again, one of these time paradoxes that by then now coming to the future, does it affect the future? They obviously don't go into it. But I know that there's many episodes where they try to avoid that, that whole, you know, butterfly effect thing of one person just by doing the simplest thing affects everything else, you know, if, if you're dealing in time trial. But anyway, again, I'm a sucker for these kind of episodes. I love this episode. It's great. That ending was just such a great ending. Up next, we have the first duty, which is episode 219. This is an interesting episode because it doesn't actually take place in the Enterprise. The gist of this episode is basically Picard is heading back to Starfleet, to Starfleet Academy, when on his way there, he finds out that there's been an accident at the Academy and that... Wesley is involved in the accident, and this is because Wesley is now, at this point in the, in, in the seasons, he's no longer in, in um, the Enterprise, he's out in the Academy, you know, learning. Well, what apparently happened is, and this is something that they're investigating, is that his squad, his teammates, were all doing some kind of flight maneuver on different ships, and something went wrong, and one ship, I guess, crashed and got destroyed, and the person died, and they're all being investigated to see if something that they did might have caused this. And they're all sticking to their story. This never happened. This wasn't our fault. Everybody, something must have happened to this individual. He must have done something wrong. It must have been an error or something. But as they're investigating this, Picard begins to notice more and more and more that Wesley is just not himself. He seems to be very troubled by what is happening. He tries to talk to his mother, and he can't really talk to her, and he just cannot get it out of him, you know, what exactly happened. At this point, Picard reunites with an old friend from the Academy who was a groundskeeper. Character Boothsby, I believe his name was, played by Ray Walston, who actually plays this role a number of times. And he's supposed to be like a, a confidant to a lot of people. And he kind of gets to the bottom of the story or he kind of finds out through him that some of these cadets, you know, and even Picard, I think, might even remember it from when he was younger, that a lot of times they try to do this crazy maneuver with the ships. And it's something that would impress everyone, that it would be like a like a hot shot, hot dog kind of maneuver, you know, for a fighter pilot flyer. And that appears to be what the thing is. That is what apparently probably took place and everybody's still sticking to the story everybody's still solid with it and they're going to go and it looks like they're going to be able to kind of shut this whole thing down and and the investigation is going to end without anybody getting in trouble but wesley is guilt written about it because he knows something was wrong and he's even visited by the father of the guy who died and he's just completely torn to pieces by how guilty he feels so At the last minute, you know, during the inquiry, he tells them everything that happened. He tells them what they were doing. He tells them that because of that, that's what caused the accident and that's what, you know, ended up costing somebody their lives. So, you know, the lead guy from that team, and he was the guy who was trying to keep everybody in line. He was trying to tell everybody, stick to your story, don't deviate from the story, forget about what happened. It wasn't anybody's fault, but stick to your story. Don't tell them about that other stuff, you know, that kind of stuff. And by the end, he does... After Wesley explains more directly what exactly happened, and the team leader takes full responsibility because he was the one who ordered everybody more or less or convinced everybody to do it. So what ends up happening is that the team leader, who ironically is played by Robert Duncan McNeil, who later on is going to play Lieutenant Paris in Voyager. He is not playing the same character, but if you think about it, He could be. He could be playing that same character, but I know they haven't retconned it that way. But if you think about it, he could. Because as a result of this, he's expelled from the Academy, and the other team members, including Wesley, are forced to repeat that year. They basically get held back a year for not telling the truth when they were supposed to tell the truth and for hiding, you know, what really happened. So it's a, um, you know, it's a lesson episode, you know, about... Telling the truth, basically. With very high stakes, because somebody ended up dying as a result of what happened. Really good episode. The Wesley character is not the whiny little kid that a lot of people used to complain about. He, the, the His character has, has grown so much, and this is a great episode for him. It is a very uh, good episode for, for that character. Episode 223, Iborg. Excellent episode. Very important in the arc ...of, you know, the Borg arcs of episodes. This is such an important episode because later on it becomes even more important in Next Generation. It also becomes very important currently in the Picard series. And the Borg storyline is picked up, you know, once again on Voyager. And I think even Enterprise dips into the Borg at one point. But anyway... This is an episode where an away team finds a crashed Borg site and there is apparently one Borg still alive, injured but still alive. And instead of leaving him there to die, Crusher convinces Picard to bring him back. Now, Picard is having very serious doubts about anything to do with this Borg because he's still traumatized from the events of Best of Both Worlds. So he is super, super distrustful of this Borg. As he's hanging out... You know, obviously under security, guarded, being repaired and healed and working with Jordy a lot. He starts to become or at least show the signs of being more of an individual. He starts to use different words. He starts to be more inquisitive, less robotic in a way, you could say. And even somebody like Guinan, who is very destructible of the Borg, and I believe it's it's in her background, too. I don't know if I mentioned it before. I I think the Borg were also partially responsible, I think, for destroying her, her people or something like that. So she starts to have second doubts about, well, maybe he is actually becoming a little more of an individual and he's trying to convince Picard to like, give him a chance. At the same time, they're also exploring the possibility of being able to release him back into the wild, if you will, with a uh, virus that hopefully will kill all the other Borg, you know, once he gets reassimilated back into the collective. Picard goes as far as, because he, he, Guinan finally convinces convinces him, to kind of test him out. So he approaches Hugh. His name is Hugh. He even picks his own name because he wants to be more, I guess, like Geordie or everybody else. And he performs a test to see if he is loyal to the Borg or not. So he approaches him as Locutus. He introduces himself as Locutius and gives him certain orders. And it looks as if Hugh is basically refusing to give those orders because those orders would involve assimilating somebody like Jordy for example and he's like no Jordy's uh, my friend he doesn't want to assimilate him so that gives him enough insight to abandon the plan of introducing you know a virus a deadly virus into the borg and instead hoping that by releasing him back into the borg he will become his individuality will Infect everybody else in terms of in that manner to just become more independent, as opposed to kill everybody. You know, which is what they were planning on doing. And at the end, when Hugh is brought back and they actually a ship comes to pick him up, you know, then they get rid of the, the the dead bodies and they pick him up and they kind of reintroduce him. And he goes along with the rest of the Borg. Everybody's kind of like a little bit like. Worry and like, oh, man, I guess he is just another Borg. He's going back without any, you know, without the blink of an eye. But that at the last second, because Jordy is off hiding to the side because he wanted to watch him leave. As they're beaming Hugh aboard, Hugh shifts his eyes and looks at Jordy. And that gives you, at least, the viewer, the impression that something has changed. That whatever it is that Hugh managed to get is still with him. And at that point we don't know what happens next great episode it is starting to flip the script and which is something that a lot of sci-fi shows sometimes manage to do not all of them shows like babylon 5 where for years you're cheering and you're rooting for one character and then that character becomes a villain and then you have villains who you absolutely despise and then little by little they start to become the good guys so this is a, a great episode in the turning of a character. So now you see the possibility of what it would be like to turn the Borg into possibly a good character. Excellent, excellent job. And if you're a fan of, of you know, the whole Borg, you know, arc, this is a top-notch episode. Episode 225, The Inner Light. The Inner Light is, again, I keep saying this, top 10. Overall, for fans, this is probably one of them. It is a custom-made episode for an actor who likes to act and who likes to have a character develop, you know, on screen, right there in front of you. The Enterprise encounters a probe, and the probe scans the ship, and at one point, it locks directly on Picard. And as a result, Picard collapses, and the Doctor comes straight to him to try to work on him. And next thing you know, we see Picard waking up, but he's not waking up in the ship he's waking up in what appears to be another planet another planet that is very different than anything else we've seen it's a very agrarian planet not a very high tech if very little tech he has a wife he has friends and they're all treating him like oh you had another one of your like heat strokes or something i don't know what they call it some kind of some kind of a seizure or something like that and he's like no no i'm i'm from uh, you know i'm from another world like uh, i was on my ship and and they're all like yeah oh yeah he's starting with that again he's he's talking about that spaceship thing and you know it's a shame so they're they're all everybody seems convinced and they're all convincing him little by little that yeah this is something that's wrong with this particular person who always thinks he's from another world and blah 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 so as time passes you know as the episode continues you see more of his life and more time passes and he gets older and he has kids and there's all types of scientific things that he tries to do as he grows older i mean he's participating in this life he doesn't necessarily believe where he's at is real but he kind of plays along because he is stuck there he is living a day-to-day existence in this other planet uh, and time is passing and he's trying to come up with all kinds of things to be able to contact his ship and that kind of thing. And days turn into months, turns into years. And we see him age physically. You see his his physique change. His children get older to the point where they're like teenagers or in their 20s. You know, he's has a family, has friends, like I mentioned earlier. But we get to a point here where we do start also to hear about some kind of catastrophic possibly natural event that's happening in the planet and they're preparing for it whether it's some kind of climate change related thing i forget exactly but it's something like atmospheric related i think and once we get really further ahead in his life we cut back now to the Enterprise and he is there on the floor still passed out like he was in the beginning of the episode they're trying to revive him and they can't figure out what's wrong with him but they can kind of tell that they have to break that beam that that scan that's taking place and they're afraid that it might hurt him or they are afraid that pulling him might hurt him and keeping him might hurt him so they're not sure exactly what to do now while this is happening we cut back to him in the planet an older man, more years have passed, the planet is drying up because of this climate change type of event that is happening, his wife has already died, He has his kids are older, some of his friends are already not there anymore, and they finally come, you know, the, the, the people that are in charge, they finally come up with a plan that the only thing that's left for them to do because the, their son, I think, is about to go supernova or something, is to take all of their information of their planet, all of the people's lives and stories and histories, and put them on this probe and launch the probe as a means of being able to remember what their whole world was all about. Because they never got any kind of mass, you know, technological upgrades uh, to be able to evacuate the planet. They can, they can't do it. All they can do is come up with one small probe to jettison off, you know, all the information from the history of this planet. And at that point, when that probe is launched, Picard realizes that it's the same probe that he encountered on the Enterprise that had you know, put him on this kind of like a coma that he's under. As soon as the probe is launched and is out there, the scan stops and he's revived. And he awakens to the fact and to let everybody else know that that's what basically what happened. That probe... Was a way of being able to tell somebody, another race, another being, what happened to this planet, and the way that they communicate that to that person is to have them live an, a lifetime, to experience that whole lifetime of events, and that's what happens to Picard. He even, I remember that uh, during the episode, he um, he plays the flute. He starts to play the flute, and it's something that he does through his life. And I think he, they even mentioned one of his children is a a musician. ...an accomplished musician... ...but he does... ...at the end of the episode... ...have that flute... ...reminder of that entire life... ...that he lived in there... ...because I think the flute is inside the probe... ...inside the actual ship... ...that ship... ...is a reminder of him... ...of of who he was... ...so it's really interesting because... ...you can kind of say... ...well yeah he imagined the whole thing... ...but yeah he imagined it... ...but there was so much detail... ...that it wasn't like he imagined... ...a whole bunch of information... That was thrown at him in 10 minutes and it's kind of like you're you're absorbing 10 minutes worth of information. No, he absorbs a lifetime of information and it's a memory now in his brain as if he lived, you know, 50 years somewhere else. Really, and again, for like I mentioned uh, before, as far as acting goes, this is so made for him to be able to... To have all this dramatic, heavy, heavy lifting, and the makeup, and the aging, and all that stuff. Really, a standout episode. Okay, we are now on season six. We're getting close. We're getting close to the end. Episode 228, Realm of Fear. This is a uh, a standalone episode, and it brings us the character of Barkley, not for the first time, but... A really good Barkley episode. Barkley, as we know, uh, as you might know, is is this jittery, nervous Startfleet officer that it's hard to believe he ever made it to being an officer because he's so awkward and jerky and everybody is always kind of like trying to steer clear of him because of his personality and how strange he is. Played by Dwight Schultz, if you guys remember the A-team, he was, uh, he was uh, howling mad Murdoch. Well here he again he's playing the same character he's he's barkley and and one of the things that we find out about barkley one of his many many fears i guess and and quirks uh, is a he's terrified of being in a transporter so they go on this mission on this disabled ship to see what happened and they find all the crew is practically missing and there's like a ghost ship and there's nobody around they can't figure out what happened but on the way back, you know, he, it, it took him forever to get on the transporter. On the way back, he seems to, you know, in between transports, you know, in between being in one place and the other, in, the, in mid-transport, he seems to see a creature floating around in the, you know, in the sparkly glowiness of, of the transport field. And the creature seems to grab his arm and bite his arm and he flips out. And returns to the ship and, you know, he tells them, he tells them he, he has his arm examined. They can't really find much wrong with him. They examine the equipment. He talks to O'Brien. He talks to Crusher and nobody seems to be able to find what's going on. But eventually at, at a certain point, they do realize because he keeps, this keeps bothering him and he's so distraught, scared. And he finally is able to tell more people about it. So they start to look into it a little deeper. Crusher eventually finds something in his arm, some kind of residue or something, that maybe something did grab his arm mid-transport, and that it has something to do with the ship that is uh, disabled, That you know, that whatever happened in that ship. And they get to the point where they, like, they figure out that whatever it is that's wrong with him, whatever it is that's affecting his arm, that the only way to probably get rid of it is to go through that transport again to try to get rid of it, which is the last thing in the world he wants to do is get back on a transporter once again. So by the end of the episode, we do find out that he is able to get whatever it is off his arm, you know, mid-transport. But in the process, he's able to find not only that creature that kind of grabs his arms ends up being an actual crew member of the ship that was there trying to make contact with him. And... As he's beamed back aboard, he's able to bring back, I believe, the majority or all of that crew of that ship. And it was something that affected them in terms of them being kind of stuck in a mid-transport buffer or something that caused them to do that. And not until he showed up were they able to make that connection. So inadvertently, he rescues everybody. He becomes a hero in this episode, which is the last thing you expect Barkley to do because he's kind of a little bit of a comic relief. So again, there, there are a number of Barkley episodes, but this one is, and there are many Barkley-centric episodes, but to me, this is probably one of the best ones and it's, it's worth you know putting in there as one of my favorites. Relics is another one of these episodes where the big draw of the episode is the guest star. This particular one, we have James Doohan, Scotty himself, playing Scotty. They figured out a way of bringing Scotty to the world of Next Generation. The way that this one works is that the Enterprise is drawn to an area where there's a apparently a Dyson Sphere. And I never knew what that was until I watched this episode and, and, and later on thought about it. Dyson Sphere apparently is a structure built around a star to encompass the star, to completely encapsulate a star. And it is something apparently of enormous energy in theory theoretical however in the dyson sphere they also find i think a crashed ship that apparently crashed into the dyson sphere somehow and in that ship even though the ship is completely empty in the transporter buffer pattern guess who is stuck in the buffer scotty himself the last survivor of that ship and he explains to them that what happened was that they uh, had an issue and they ran into the sphere i guess and Everybody died, and the last thing he managed to do was transport himself and put himself in a uh, like a repeating buffer. So he wasn't able to transport himself anywhere else, but he was able to put himself in a buffer, thereby having this ridiculous, you know, 50, 60 year <laughs> time travel y kind of episode with him showing up in the future because they were able to bring him out of the buffer. So the episode deals a lot with him, you know, catching up to what's been happening and how things work in the future. And a lot of it also has to do with him feeling completely out of place and depressed. And like he just doesn't belong, that there's no use for his knowledge. His knowledge is so old. He talks to Jordy, and Jordy shows him all the new things. And it kind of hurts his feelings that he feels so useless in this time frame. He even at one point in the episode, they recreate through special effects the bridge of the Enterprise because he goes to the holodeck and he wants to be in the bridge of the Enterprise and he goes in there and there's the bridge. They did a through effects, through CGI. They were able to rebuild that ship, rebuild that bridge with him in it and walking around it and that sort of thing. Uh, and and they did use also, I think, a, a replica that was uh, built, uh, I think, by a fan, actually. So uh, that is super memorable, super, super good for, you know, old-time Star Trek fans. And... The episode has to find its way to have some kind of um, peril. So what what happens is the Enterprise all of a sudden now is stuck inside the Dyson Sphere and they can't get out. And they come up with a way, and 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 Scotty's going to help them. You know, he's 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 going to help them try to get out. So he they finally figure out a way, and and with Scotty's help, obviously, they're able to escape the Dyson Sphere and and make sure nobody comes back here and gets trapped in it again. And at that point, the episode kind of concludes with picard giving scotty a shuttlecraft to be able to fly away on the shuttlecraft and it's a really strange ending because you think about it and you're like well what does that mean does that mean that scotty is going to just die somewhere now because he's flying alone in the middle of nowhere with a shuttlecraft i don't know i i hope that's not what it was meant to indicate (laughs) but it's a little ambiguous as to what happens to scotty at the end of this episode theoretically he He could be alive in in that time frame still, but it's just a weird little little ending for it. But like I said, the fact that you brought this character back, you know, makes the episode shine a little brighter than it normally would. 236. Chain of Command is a very important episode. It's a very Picard-centric episode. But in a way... Part of my favorite parts of the, this episode is almost kind of like the B story. I, I hard to say, I think, let's put it this way. If it, it's a part one and a part two, part one concentrates basically on what happens as they're preparing for a mission. And part two is more of what happens when the mission flounders. So with Chain of Command Part 1, the episode basically starts with Captain Jellico comes to the Enterprise, played by Ronnie Cox. Fantastic role for him. Fantastic role for him. If you don't remember Ronnie Cox from, uh, from Deliverance, from Robocop, he's done a bazillion movies. So he comes to the Enterprise uh, with orders that he's there to relieve Captain Picard, because Picard, Picard is going to go on a mission and he needs to be trained for it. And now he's going to take command of the Enterprise while this mission takes place, because he's going to he's gonna bring him to his mission, and he needs to assemble a team, and his team is Worf and Crusher, I believe. So most of this episode, Picard, Worf, and Crusher are training for this mission, so they're doing all kinds of covert kind of training and that sort of thing. But the A story here, the the real meat and potatoes, uh, which is an amazing episode, is how Captain Jellicoe behaves towards his crew and how the crew behaves towards him. He is a complete bastard. He starts off kind of like... I'm here, I'm not going to be, you know, I'm, I'm I'm. just here for a while and I'm, I'm going to take care of you guys and I hope that... And then little by little, he becomes like an unbearable captain and everybody is like going crazy trying to please him and they can't. Everything, he doesn't like anything they're doing and specifically, especially Riker. Riker completely butts heads with Jellico and it is just unbearable and Picard really can't do anything about it and you know they they go to Picard for hell He's like this guy is just uh, unpleasable and he's unreasonable and he's making us do things completely backwards and and he's tough he is super tough on everybody and you just hate the character you absolutely hate the character and the mission that he's being trained on, which nobody else is allowed to know about it because it's a secret mission, has to do with infiltrating a Cardassian outpost, let's say, and uh, trying to steal a, a weapons, a bioweapon or something. And at the same time, they're having negotiations with the Cardassians and the Cardassians at one point tell them, listen, I uh, just wanted to let you know that we caught your, your team. Your team has been caught and we have a prisoner. And they're like, well, we don't know what you're talking about. You know, it's like, that old thing of deny. Deny everything. Deny that, you know, the, the the director will disavow any knowledge of your existence, you know, a la Mission Impossible. The mission fails. Picard is caught. Warfriend Crusher escape. Fast forward to part two. Episode 237, Chain of Command part two. This is the second part of that Chain of Command series where we now get Picard as a POW. Again... This is one of these crazy acting uh, challenges for Patrick Stewart he is humiliated beaten just about anything you know, they do everything to him the Cardassians and as he's being you know he's being interrogated and and there's this is the episode about how many lights are there it's the way of breaking him and he has to little by little uh, I think there's like four lights or three lights and he's, he's they're supposed he's supposed to say there's four or five and there's really four or something like that and he, through the episode he never gives up and he never gives up all the way to the end he never tells them what they want to hear to know that they finally broke him on the other side of this episode you have the rescue attempt or the rescue plans that they want to put into effect but Jellico doesn't want to he wants to instead try to um, attack the Cardassians and, and force them into something and um at one point, they end up having this mission where he's going to mine, like I guess uh, something. And he asks, he has to crawl back to sort of crawl back to uh, Riker, who he actually sent them to his room, and he's not even allowed to <laughs> to work because uh, he pissed them off so much. And Riker, he does it. He's, he's he agrees to go on this mission to be able to lay these mines, I think, in order to kind of blackmail the Cardassians into backing off and as part of this uh, maneuver that he's trying to do do you agree to release Picard because they got the Cardassians one way or the other got caught doing something they shouldn't or something like that I don't know exactly how it goes but the bottom line is that Picard is released and, and and again he's back and in rough shape not exactly best of both worlds rough shape but he does tell I think Crusher I think it's Crusher that he tells at the end that right before he was released in one of those final interrogations where they were showing him these lights. And even though he knew that that extra light wasn't there, that he was starting to see more lights because they had, you know, tunneled into his mind so deep that it was starting to work. The conditioning, the brainwashing was actually starting to work on him. And it's a good thing they got him at the point where they got him or else he might be completely lost but amazing amazing acting chops for uh, Patrick Stewart there's a scene where I think they hang him naked and it's like you can kind of see from the back I think it is it is him there is this isn't it's not like a stunt guy or anything he did go all out for this particular episode in terms of you know his acting chops really really putting it all out there you know more ways than one one slight tangent I would like to explore at this moment is Data. Chain of Command is the only technical episode where we see Data wearing a red command uniform. Reason for this is, as we mentioned earlier, when Jellico relieves Riker of his command, because those two are arguing so much, he promotes Data to be the commander at that point, and we actually get to see Data wearing a red uniform. That is something that's important because of a couple of reasons, depending on how much of a Star Trek collector you are. I talked about this in the past. With the Playmates line of action figures, they created a red uniform Data, referred to as red data labeled as redemption data incorrectly labeled redemption data because data did not have the red command uniform in the episode called redemption he had it on chain of command part two exactly so for a long time there's always been this discrepancy for collectors you know referring to the red data with the red with the redemption label on it that it really was a chain of command episode and you kind of you know think about it well why didn't data always have a red you know why wasn't he always part of command the command structure instead of making him more of the uh, technical scientific structure of of the command well apparently one of the reasons was that when they were first trying to figure out what colors uniforms to put on people it would kind of make sense to make data part of the command structure. But they kind of did some tests with his makeup in his costume, his uniform. And they noticed that the yellowish, slightly greenish hue that his makeup had, which was much worse in the beginning, they tweaked it as they went along to make it a little more palatable. It always seemed to clash with the red color of the uniform. Those two colors didn't, didn't mesh well. And that the yellow gold, if you will, went a little better with the makeup that he was wearing i guess those two colors just clash with each other too much to 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 work aesthetically and maybe even you know for for filming purposes at the time but what's also interesting is that we have seen data wearing red before on our previous episode where we were going over some of the other ones the episode future imperfect the one with Riker, is kind of made to believe he's in the future and things have changed and everybody's wearing different costumes and they look different and they have a different insignia, you know, a different kind of future. We do get to see Data wearing the red uniform, except he has a different insignia. He has that that futuristic alternate future insignia. So we did get a little taste of that a few seasons before just to see what Data would look like, you know, wearing that uniform. What's also interesting is that if you look back at even the idea of putting Data in a red uniform. It didn't just end with the initial start of the show, trying to figure out what color to give him from the beginning. The Blu-ray for season three, I believe, references, and I've seen some pictures on the internet, because I don't own those Blu-rays, but they do show some pictures on the internet of Data wearing the new uniform. Remember, the third season, I think it was, when they kind of brought on the uh, uniform changes where they got rid of the uh, the, the tighter fitting uh, jumpsuits and got more the more relaxed uniforms, they do post some pictures of data wearing a command color new style uniform and him just posing you know for the different styles of it not sure what that means, not sure if that meant that they were exploring changing his structure from Science, technical, you know, to command structure. I don't know. But you do get to see some pictures of him way, 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 way before they finally did use it on the Chain of Command episode or even the Future Imperfect episode. Again, this is one of those little rabbit holes that we like to go down in the trivial aspects of the show. But it's one of those little things that always like, oh, I can tell you something about the red uniform. (laughs) It's It's a cool little thing. Let's move on to the next episode. Tapestry episode 241 this episode if you really think about it is basically it's a wonderful life for Star Trek Picard is wounded during a diplomatic mission what ends up happening is I believe his his artificial heart because apparently he has an artificial heart we never knew about or at least we didn't realize that until yet is damaged so he's kind of like in a sort of a coma but while he's out cold in a coma or whatever he wakes up in this white limbo environment and guess who's there? He's like, you know, he, you think it's like a God thing or something? No, it's Q. So it's like, oh God, here we go. Q is there to completely mess with his head. So Q is is there to kind of taunt him, you know, about that, uh, you know, his his heart failed him and, and, and then he must be God then. You know, Q is messing with him like he always does. And Picard is not very happy with what he's saying, but he says he does have certain regrets in his life, Especially having to do with the fact that if you know that his heart hadn't gotten damaged, he wouldn't be in this predicament. And not only damaged, but the fact that he has an artificial heart to begin with, and that brings him kind of back to in time, which they do a little bit of a of a, a, a time travely episode where Q is the Q is basically the angel, and and. <laughs> And Picard is Jimmy Stewart. And they go back to that moment where he was in Starfleet uh, Academy or something, where he he gets into a fight with a Nausicaan at a bar with his friends, which results in the Nausicaan stabbing him through the heart with a big, long knife. And as a result of that is what ended up with him having to, you know, place a uh, an artificial heart. And he... Comes to the conclusion at the time that, you know, if he hadn't done that, if he hadn't been such a reckless, you know, uh, brawler at the time, you know, willing to get into stupid fights with people, that it's the type of thing that maybe later in life he, he would have uh, not been in this situation. So we get the kind of uh, jump forward that Q is able to show him, well, look, this is what your life would have been like if you would not have done that stupid thing that you did. And then we're presented with what would his life be like If he just avoided that incident, that that particular time. And he sees himself going through different stages of his life as a Starfleet officer, as a cadet, you know, where he plays it safe. He doesn't take risks. He doesn't, even with women, he doesn't engage women too aggressively. He doesn't pursue, I guess, his career hard enough. And he is not a captain. And all of a sudden, he starts to kind of doubt that. He's like, well, wait a minute. Then if I did play it safe, if I did kind of take a step back, my life would be nowhere where it is now. So he's kind of caught between these two options that... He doesn't seem to like the solution that he's being presented to how his life could be different. And even Riker and Troy, uh, at one point, he goes for them for advice because he's not their captain. He's just another junior officer, and they kind of tell him that he's he just plays it too safe, and you know that he's not, you know, he's not really uh, you know uh, command material, if you will, <laughs> more or less, because of his uh, holding back. Of, of you know, again, this is what in the Q spectrum he has done to kind of adjust his life to not make that initial mistake. So as we get to the end of the episode, as, as the episode starts to conclude, he goes back to Q and says, all right, forget it. I want to go back to doing the things like I did them. I don't want this alternate safer life because it kind of sucks the life out of him. It doesn't give him any of the, uh, any of the joy that he currently has, even though it is more dangerous. So he relives that fight once again with the Nausicaan. And this time, instead of walking away from the fight, not getting involved, he has the fight once again and gets stabbed through the heart once again. And at that point, he wakes up again and they're working on him and he's revived and he's you know put back to normal. But he is somewhat thankful, I think, because Q showed him an alternate life he could have had and a life that he really... ...doesn't need to have any regrets over... ...especially that particular event... ...because if he did change his life so drastically... ...just to avoid that... ...it would have left or could have led to... ...a more dissatisfying life. Frame of Mind, episode 247. This one is a wild... ...crazy... ...mind-screwy episode. Riker is preparing to go on a mission... ...and before going on this mission... Riker is also participating in a play, and in the play he plays a mental health patient that is being kept prisoner in an asylum, let's say. So he starts to have these what appear to be hallucinations. He he starts to see certain faces during his performances, and he can't, you know, make heads or tails of what's happening to him. And he starts to kind of shift between the play and an actual real asylum where he appears to be a patient at. And he's being told that he's there, you know, because he's sick and he he did something terrible and they're there to uh, help him with his problem and blah, 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 and that sort of thing. And some of the characters he starts to encounter are very familiar. But he keeps kind of bouncing back and forth between a real asylum and the play. So he doesn't know what's going on. He starts to think that he's starting to lose his mind. But... He seems to have this uh, certain signs keep pointing towards that there's something else at play here. It's your your typical weird episode here, you know, of something's not right. And little by little, he starts to believe that the asylum is the reality. And his memories of, of being in a starship is the fantasy world that he's been imagining. And that's why he's in a mental asylum. At a certain point, he's rescued by Worf and Data, and they scoop him out of there and and make an escape, and once again, because it happened before, he starts to kind of bleed, I think, from his head or something, and that's a sign to him that something's not right, something is still not working here, and he starts to believe at that moment that even his rescuers are not real, and he keeps having this ongoing thing where every time he thinks he's, he's safe, he's really not. It's another... Trick that's being played on him to make him think that he is this person that's about to escape because he really is a, you know, Riker from the Enterprise, but that keeps bringing him back, you know, to this mental asylum scenario. And he gets to the point where he's able to kind of break whatever spell he's under, if you will, or whatever control he seems to be under, and he finds himself on top of like an examining table with a probe attached to his head. And that is the thing that was making him bleed out of his head during these images or these environments, if you will, that he was going through. And he finds himself basically confined, a prisoner, in some alien creature that is kind of probing his mind and stuff. And this is the same creature that he was supposed to be having this mission that he was supposed to go on. So I guess when you make the connection is that he went on the mission, he got caught, and now they're working on him. To make him believe that he's not the person he is, he figures out a way of escaping and gets away. So he's able to escape, you know, through his uh, his tricks, if you will. But this episode is kind of again similar to Chain of Command in a way where Riker or Jonathan Frakes, at least, gets to stretch his acting muscle. The bouncing back and forth between the play and the reality. Which ends up not being the reality, but that back and forth that he has to go through, the suffering between trying to figure out what is reality, is really well done, and it's it's great, it's a great spotlight on Jonathan Frank's acting abilities, which, you know, you don't really get too much, too many chances for him to shine. He's directed a whole bunch of episodes, you know, through the entire uh, Star Trek franchises, but... As an actor, this is probably one of his best roles for Next Generation. Second Chance is episode 250. This is better known as the Thomas Riker episode. Once again, shining the spotlight on Jonathan Frakes' Riker character. This is an episode where Riker uh, is uh, on a mission, you know, to fix something, retrieve something, get something. And when he gets there, he finds somebody that looks exactly like him. And it appears to be some kind of transporter freak accident where Riker ended up having two uh, versions of himself transported. One stayed behind in this location years ago, and the other one was able to return. This one was left stranded. And... He has a completely different personality than Riker does now. The episode mainly deals with how the different personality of Riker, you know, this isn't evil Riker. This is just different personality Riker and how that affects his relationship with Troy. Troy and Riker have a history of being involved at one point and then kind of him choosing his career so he never sort of pursued her. Any more than up to a certain point, so he kind of chose career before choosing her. But they still remain friends, and even ended up basically in the same ship. You know, we got that since the beginning that these two have a history, but that they're kind of friends now—very good friends, but not the kind of friends that they used to be. With Thomas Riker now entering the picture, and I call him Thomas Riker because at some point he has to pick a name. He looks a little different. His his goatee is cut slightly different, you know, to, to make him look a little different. His hair has a little bit of a different tinge to it. But, yeah, with him, it's as if he just left her. So he is kind of wanting to continue that relationship. And those two start to kind of develop something. And regular Riker and Will Riker, he's now getting a little pissed off because he doesn't appreciate his older self kind of making the moves on her and picking up where he chose to leave off and possibly to this point still regrets not pursuing after her more and you know heading more towards his career so those two seem to always be in a fight with each other and they're always arguing and they cannot get along no matter what and at a certain point they have to return to that planet again because they need to try to retrieve that original data that they were looking for in the first place. And as a result of, a, I don't know, a cosmic storm or something, Thomas Riker ends up hanging from a cliff and he looks like he's going to die. And and you're looking at Will and he's like, wait a minute, this is something. He could, he could get rid of this guy now and all his problems will be gone and he doesn't have to worry about him, you know, uh, mouthing off to him and not doing what he's told and and hitting on Troy, But no, he saves them. He helps them back up that ladder. And it's not that they're friends, but they kind of understand each other. They're two different people. And Thomas Riker agrees or decides to go off and uh, go to another ship and try to start a life now. And he wants to keep keep in touch with Troy and try to get her, hopefully, uh, to come to him once he's allowed to bring family. I guess he wants to marry her at some point. But what's really brave in this episode is that when you do have an episode like this, when you do all of a sudden create two versions of the same person, usually, usually that second person is somehow gotten rid of by the end of the episode because it throws a hand grenade into your story writing. You cannot have two of the same person floating around in this environment. But here, I give them a lot of credit because what they did is they were able to keep that second person. They're just gonna shoo him away somewhere. And don't worry, because he does return on DS9 in a very interesting manner. I don't know if they really had uh, intended to bring him back during uh, Next Generation, I don't know if they had the time. They ran out of time because, yeah, we are almost done, you know, you know, sixth season. But it is good to know, you know, I felt good that after creating this character who is different. And and to see those two go at it, it's like you could see how it's like brothers that just they are they're arguing all the time and they they look identical. Really good. Again, another good acting episode, ironically, uh, directed by LeVar Burton, another cast member who's taking a shot at directing. Episode 251, Timescape. If there's an episode that it's going to be very difficult to explain out of all of them, it's going to be this one. It is super crazy, time travel-y and quantum physics and quantum mechanics and quantum everything. Picard, Data, LaForge, and Troy return from a mission to the Enterprise to find that everything has frozen. Everything seems to be frozen and then speeding up and then speeding up. Time seems to be doing things where events are, they walk into certain areas of the ship and things are mid-action. You see somebody being shot at with a phaser and people reacting and people caught on a freeze framey kind of thing. And they're going through the ship trying to figure out what is going on. Even outside the ship, it looks like as if they're in the middle of a battle. Warships are shooting at each other or at least mid frozen, you know, mid-frame frozen shooting at each other. They are able to kind of tell that if they let things go in one direction, the Enterprise will explode. And if they go in the other direction, they can at least go back enough to see if they can fix it. Things are completely whacked out because there is an alien presence in the ship that is partially causing this to happen. And they get to a point where they have to basically fly the runabout into this temporal thing to get things to get back in order. Again, it is really difficult to explain this episode, but it is one of those time travel but combined with physics, quantum physics that makes it such a crazy episode. again, it, it, it falls into my wheelhouse and it's really it's really hard to explain. <laughs> this is one of those hard, it's one of those episodes where when you're as you're watching the episode you're trying to figure out the scientific logic of what could be happening. Granted, this is all science fiction. But there are scientific principles, scientific time travel principles that are trying to be put at work here to see how, you know, how those theories work. And this one is definitely one of these crazy ones where you just cannot figure out, wait, is it the Romulans or is it this alien creature that's causing these things to happen? And it it is definitely a recommended episode and I'm sorry I'm being so vague about it, but it is just such a hard episode to describe. This is the uh, season finale, six-season finale, called Descent. There's a part one and a part two. Part two will be the premiere of season seven. Descent is episode 252. And this is a very, very data-slash-Borg-centric episode. The episode deals, part one anyway, with uh, the discovery of a, um, I guess, the remains of a battlefield, a lot of dead bodies everywhere, including Borg. But these Borg seem to be acting a little differently. Instead of assimilating, they're more aggressive. They're more, uh, you could kind of say, maybe Klingon-ish. They're there for revenge and aggression and not so much about assimilating. And one of them particularly attacks Data. And Data... Not only defends himself, but seems to start to relish in the confrontation and kills the Borg and seems to be kind of enjoying it. And it appears as if at least one of those Borgs is watching what is happening to Data, that Data is actually exhibiting some very aggressive emotions, which has never happened to him before. Data then, you know, back on the Enterprise, he's trying to figure out what happened to him, what exactly, he's trying to recreate that moment to see why he was acting that way. While this is happening, we have a Starfleet admiral comes to kind of tell Picard how unhappy he is with his plan a couple of episodes ago of letting Hugh go back without infecting the, the Borg and all that stuff, and wants him to, you know, go out there and take care and to correct that problem, basically. Then, as they try to recreate, I think, the like a transport field to see if they can kind of chase the Borg back or something. Some Borgs do get back on the Enterprise. And as they are attacking and they are being defeated, one of them, who is captured, starts to kind of tease Data about what happened to him the other day when he was acting so aggressively. He's kind of taunting him. Cut to Data and that Borg going away on a shuttle. Because he wants to find out what's going on with him, and apparently this Borg might have some information, and Picard and an away team follow after him, and track him down to this uh, planet, where there is a uh, like a big hall area, and there's uh, like a lot of Borg-looking flags everywhere, and next thing you know, they're surrounded by a ton of Borg, who are again acting very uncharacteristically Borgish. And amongst them, we find Lore and Data. It looks like Lore is back and he is there to be kind of like the leader of these crazy Borgs. So that's how they ended this season on another crazy Borgy cliffhanger. Again, they found their stride, they found their bad guy. This is six seasons into it, and they finally have a very successful bad guy for this series after all those mistries that they had you know it's no surprise that this is the bad guy they're going to use you know when they have their their first solo movie this is the way they go with first contact no you know no no surprise there season seven which is the final season of the show as we approach season seven the numbers are going to resemble a little more like the first few seasons in terms of how many are to me at least my favorite episodes. Premiere is Descent Part 2, which is episode 253, continuation of the Descent storyline. So, part 2 is uh, pick up exactly where part 1 left off. Here we have Lore basically telling, uh, you know, it's the the typical uh, James Bond situation where the bad guy is explaining the plan or what happened to the good guy. Uh, He basically tells them that uh, this is all as a result of what happened with Hugh. He came back and his individuality affected the continuum, and it ended up with a lot of Borg drones being confused and looking for some kind of guidance, and they couldn't have it. So that's where Lore stepped in and took over, and he uh, made him their leader and that's why they seem to act so emotional about everything and they're terrified of lore because he is so manipulative data at the same time is being controlled by lore because lore somehow got him access to an emotion sort of chip which is something that he was always been looking for and he puts everybody in danger obviously especially Jordy. and data is able to fool him you know at the last minute and kind of retain his personality back and at the same time a Borg ship arrives and starts attacking Crusher because she was left behind at the uh, at the Enterprise so they're involved in a space battle Riker and Worf are found by a group of other Borgs that are led by Hugh and Hugh is basically the leader of a, of the rebellious Borgs I guess that are trying to fight against Lore And a lot of these rebellious Borgs are experiments that Lore was conducting where he basically left them all mutilated and Hugh was able to repair and and heal some of them to become part of his group. And now they're coming forward to help, you know, uh, Picard and his group of, uh, you know, fighting against Lore. And... As these guys are fighting, you know, you get the the Picard-Lore-Data conflict where Lore is telling Data, you know, you're my brother, and, you know, we finally get to do this together, and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, as usual, at the last minute, Data is able to break away from Lore and defeat him and not kill Picard like he wanted him to. And in the process, they're finally able to deactivate Lore who at this point now seems to be, you know, not operational anymore and hopefully not willing or able to uh, cause more damage to everybody. <laughs> so, yeah, this is an interesting uh, episode where, once again, we have the Borg storyline pushed forward. We've seen a defection in even within the Borgs as a result of that Hugh episode, the I-Borg episode. And then we have to figure out where does it all go from here? once again another chance for brett spiner to do the lore character to be able to work those two characters a more typical evil not like thomas Riker. this is definitely good guy bad guy evil data good data material that he's dealing with episode 263 parallels well if we're going to have one final insane (laughs) alternate timeline universe this is it This is an episode where Worf returns from a competition somewhere, a Batleth competition. And he notices that things are different. Things are changing. Things that he remembers, items, objects all over the place are changing. They're they're in different places. They look different. They're not where they're supposed to be. People that he knew apparently have died and people are in different positions, and different things are going on. A different individual is married to Troy. You know, at this point, I believe he's involved with Troy in this season. It's that weird season where he starts getting it out with Troy. They kind of figure out that, you know, data helps them to figure out that something has to do with Jordy that makes these changes. Whenever he's near Jordy, these changes start taking place, I and mean, it has something to do with Jordy's visor. I don't know what exactly it makes it change, but at least it's able to detect these changes that are happening. There's a lot of scientific quantum explanations for what's going on, and you start to see more and more of these things happen. These changes keep taking place. All of a sudden, he's in a different environment with different people in different uniforms, in different scenarios, different bad guys. Bajorans are bad guys. You know, the roles keep changing. Characters keep changing. Individuals keep changing. And this is the episode where the ending is so crazy memorable because he ends up basically hopping so much that you have this... Climactic shot in the end, where you have an endless amount of enterprises, possibly hundreds of them. And it is figured out that the way for everything to go back is to have these enterprises destroyed. They have to destroy all the enterprises in order to come back to the normal timeline or alternative reality that he came from, the real reality. And there is one ship. Because one of these alternate realities involves the Borg basically taking over the galaxy and there being almost no Federation left. You get a shot of, as a lot of the uh, captain, the different captains of the Enterprise are agreeing to be able to destroy themselves to reset the timeline... You get a shot, I think, of the one that is manned by Riker, and it's the crazy Riker. His hair is all over the place. and He's the captain of the Enterprise and does not want to go back because his world is a complete disaster, and he doesn't want to go back, but somehow they end up being able to destroy them all, thereby resetting the the proper timeline, and Worf being able to return to where he actually came from. So... Again, this is one of those crazy, crazy episodes that, you know, I absolutely, absolutely love how wacky it is and how you end up with so many different versions of everybody and the different ways that these people act, you know, depending on which timeline you're under. You know, they give you enough of everything. You even have, uh, at one point, like I said, when the Bajorians are the bad guys, the Cardassians are the Federation members. You know, it's just insane how, how they go with this one. It's really, really cool. And again, the most memorable thing is the crazy hair Riker at the end. Episode 264, The Pegasus. This is an episode that once again, uh, coincidentally, is directed by LeVar Burton, deals with the secret of the Romulan cloaking technology, in a way. Guest star Terry O'Quinn, if you guys remember him from Lost, plays Admiral Pressman, and he's an old commander of Riker from a previous ship, actually the Pegasus. He's on a mission to relocate the Pegasus, a ship that was apparently lost during a secret mission a very long time ago. And Riker is a little uh, concerned about this mission. There's apparently some kind of background, a little story between these two that Riker is not very uh, content about. And they're trying to get there before the Romulans do. And one of the things that Pressman reveals to Riker without Picard knowing is that the mission is not only to go there and retrieve something, but it's also to continue these experiments that he was conducting back when Riker was, you know, working for him. Something that possibly went horribly wrong. The experiments had something to do with cloaking technology. But not only being able to cloak but being able to pass through solid objects, which is something completely different than just cloaking. However, apparently, that is something that the Federation cannot do or would not do normally because it violates what they call the Treaty of Algeron, which is something they apparently signed with the Romulans, which also could explain why it is that the Federation never really officially has cloaking technology, and the Romulans do. Because we're not at war with them, we still have to respect that treaty. I guess that's the theory of why we don't have it anyway. Hard to say. But anyway, Riker is definitely covering up something that went wrong in this experiment. When the Enterprise finally locates the ship, they find that the Pegasus is in an asteroid, but it's inside an asteroid. It's partially decloaked inside an asteroid so when once they're inside looking for you know what they're looking for the technology they're looking for they're finding chunks of rock inside the ship inside people inside cadavers basically and it's just a bizarre sight of having this ship who apparently decloaked or dematerialized partially inside a rock what's Finally found out here in this, and at the point when Picard is told, you know, Riker tells him what's going on with, you know, under the threat of him being court martialed or whatever is that, yeah, the, the, what had happened before was that the crew had mutinied. And that when this happened, when this experiment went wrong, which was an experiment they weren't supposed to be doing in the first place, and that Riker had sided with the captain. And between the two of them, you know, especially the captain, he was able to kind of get away with it. But at this point, Riker doesn't care anymore. He wants to make it official. It's one of these things that's kind of hanging on his conscience. And the episode is resolved because the Enterprise now is caught uh, between a, a rock and a hard place, no pun intended. And they are able to activate the device and get away by actually materializing through the stones, you know, through the asteroids. Luckily, not getting caught in it like the other ship did and come out the other side. But they are... According to Picard, going to be turning the Admiral over to Federation for Discipline, you know, because of his violation of that treaty, you know, resulting in this massive disaster for the Pegasus. Lower Decks, episode 267. This is a really interesting episode because they kind of take the focus away from the main characters and give you a different view of the Enterprise through the eyes of other characters that are non executive characters so these are basically lower rank characters that are about to be promoted and they're all kind of competing for certain things and some of them are competing with each other and they're all very good friends uh one of those characters very interestingly enough is one of the uh, cadets that were punished because of that incident with wesley crusher at starfleet academy where they had that crash that is one of these characters that is brought forward exactly in the same manner and one of the things that is happening is that they are all being evaluated by different crew members but one of them specifically this one that i'm telling you about she is selected volunteers you know voluntarily uh to go on a mission uh to pretend to be a bajoran undercover and then return and a lot of the episode has to do with how they're trying to motivate these people to do their thing and internally how they read the higher ups like they don't like them they don't like me they're too tough on me and stuff like that and and how they're misperceiving each other because there are completely different uh, levels you know of rank so they're living on two different worlds in all reality and you have this different characters, and I think there's a total of four of them, three or four of them, and how, you know, they're like I said, they're competing with each other. Now, this is an episode where one of these young people, this girl that was, again, the one that got in trouble uh, along with Wesley, uh, she goes on this mission because it's, it's a perfect opportunity for her to, to uh, you know, do something a little more serious, do something uh, real. As far as Starfleet goes. And it is found out later in the episode that she dies. She was killed because they found her out to be a a spy. And uh, her ship was destroyed. Which really puts a big damper on everyone. Not only on the higher-ups. You know, Worf, who was training her. And, you know, showing her all these martial arts that he was doing. And how to defend herself. And this and that. And her friends... Completely heartbroken by what happened, but it does cause at the end of the episode a sort of connection to be made between the higher-ups, that being Worf, for example, and the rest of the group. That distance that they had in the beginning of the episode seems to be fading away and they're more connected now because of the tragedy of what happened. And even the promotion that one of these other characters gets, because he no longer is competing with her for that same promotion, it feels uh, to him, you know, it feels kind of hollow and empty because it's like, oh, I get it now because she died, you know, not because he earned it. It was just kind of by default. So it's a very uh, emotional episode. It's really, really, uh, really top notch in terms of uh, drama. this you know character development and drama it's not so much about special effects all good things this is the final series episode this is an episode that goes back to the original encounter at farpoint episode of the series in a way this is a little bit of a um it's a wonderful life-ish kind of episode because it's very heavy time travel uh different stages of picard's life We jump back and forth. Picard is having some kind of a crisis that makes him jump between times. And in all of these times, we get to experience how different alternative realities or alternative timelines his life or his his friend's lives would be different. You get to see a lot of um, more mature Rikers and Worfs and, and Crushers. And along the way, they've had problems historically, you know, that we never get to witness because it's being, you know, we're jumping ahead so much. Worf is like, I think he's like the ambassador of, of the Klingon Empire or something. He's the representative of the Klingon Empire. And Riker, I think, might be an admiral. And Crusher is a, a medical captain, you know. They all have a, their little uh, future careers. I think Data is teaching in Cambridge, you know, and and Geordi also is there visiting, uh, Picard, and they all have their own lives anymore. And it's diff things are different for them. But Picard seems to be still, for whatever bizarre reason, jumping back and forth. He's going into the past, so it's really cool because they've recreated uh, a lot of the scenes from. Encountered far point. They reshot them, they redressed a lot of the characters in their older costumes, you know, in their different uniforms and stuff like that. Then in another one, he's jumping forward quite a bit forward. So uh, you know, meeting everybody as they were older. And obviously, again, this is one of those insane quantum alternate things that you just have to accept. But it has to do with Q, and Q is, once again, teaching a lesson to to Picard that he is responsible for the end of, uh, you know, human uh, creation because uh, the fact that he touched some am- amoeba, again, that's the butterfly effect, caused the creation of life not to happen. You know, one simple slip-up, and that created this huge mess, which by the end of the episode, obviously, it gets resolved and it's due to his creativity and his his out-of-the-box thinking or out of the human box, if you will, because Q basically explains to Picard that he's finally seen him evolve, more or less, as humanity is kind of taking a step into that next uh, level of existence because of the way Picard was able to resolve this issue. You know, of all these different enterprises, you know, the present, the future, and the past, all of them... He's trying to run the same mission from three different time points and just realizes once again that the only way to set everything straight is to destroy all of them. They all have to be obliterated for everything to kind of get back to normal. It's a little bit of a repeat uh, solution to the problem, uh, maybe a little differently creatively. But, you know, a lot of times that's what it takes. They have to either jump back into the into the abyss to to kind of reset everything, to save themselves. And obviously this is also the jumping off point because after this, everybody moved on to the next generation films. Uh, So all good things was the springboard. As a postscript to the episode, Picard is able to tell all his friends about some of those opportunities that were missed, you know, by the future versions of themselves. Just, I guess, maybe just to see if that's something they would like to avoid or if that's something they would like to correct or go along with it. And at this point, which is the first time we ever see him do this, you know, because as a captain, he did try to maintain a distance to a certain extent with his crew. But the ending of the entire series is Picard joining the rest of the crew the rest of the bridge crew, you know, the senior staff on one of those poker games that they've been having all these years. He finally comes in and plays with them. So it's a very important feel good ish kind of episode. It is the culmination of the entire series. So it does have this finality to it. While we all know at the same time that this is heading to the movies next. So as far as we're concerned, their stories are going to continue in films. So This brings us, you know, to the end of our favorite episodes. You know, when you add them up, let's see, the final tally. I'm counting approximately 41 episodes. Wow, that's a lot of episodes, man. I don't think you're going to find another uh, list on the internet that gives you my favorite 41 episodes. So I hope you enjoyed them. I hope, you know, you take the chance to watch this on your own if you haven't never done it this is a perfect time to binge watch these things man they're out there netflix has them cbs access has all access has them they're 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 all out there and there is definitely a pattern as far as i'm concerned you know like i said most of beginning seasons you're looking at four or five favorites you get to five and six my god it spikes to about nine a piece and then it drops to about five again so there is a definite curve, a definite bell curve to how many really, really good episodes these guys were doing at a certain point. And this explains why, you know, I'm really, you know, in my heart, Next Gen is is my my series. Like I mentioned earlier, it's because I was there. I was there in person as it was happening. I was enjoying it as it was happening. I jumped on the action figures and I went to the conventions and I met Some of the stars got their autographs and that kind of stuff. So it kind of makes sense why this one is uh, such a special one for me. All right, I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. We finished our deep, deep, deep dive into my favorite episodes of Next Generation. As promised, what I think I'm going to try to do is continue with these episodes in the future. I'm going to try to hit... DS9, Voyager, Enterprise, I'm going to try to hit just about every uh, aspect of Star Trek that's out there to come up with, you know, these kind of lists, because it's it's also fun to kind of go through them all over again, which is what I've been doing for quite a while now. Even before, you know, we were all at home (laughs) waiting for this whole thing to finish, I had started with Next Generation as a result of doing research for my action figure, my Playmate action figure shows that I was doing, that I was preparing. And now that we are, you know, in this, it gives me even more of a chance to continue re-watching all these episodes and trying to find, you know, those diamonds in the rough. You know, as I know as I get closer and closer to to Enterprise, for example, which in my mind it's probably one of the weakest of all of them, I think I'm gonna be probably surprised because I was with DS9 re-watching it. I was surprised as how many good episodes I found. And I'm currently as of recording this episode right now, I'm in Voyager. I am over halfway through Voyager. And yeah, there are some really good episodes in there too. Which, again, I keep giving Next Generation so much more credit because it is the, the first one that I was really attached to, more even way more than the original series. So, on behalf of everybody here, thanks for listening and we will see you soon here at GeekFest Rants. Bye-bye, everybody. an incredible legend draws near moving back and forth through time the past the present and the future are about to collide you're defenseless and the fate of all mankind depends on one man all hands brace for impact (laughs) goodbye all good things must come to an end on the spectacular two-hour final episode of star trek the next generation